What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mailari. So today I'm going to break down some of the best plays and the worst plays or performances in the year of sports in 2022. I meant to do this yesterday, just didn't get the time. So here we are on New Year's Day, breaking down the best performances of the year in 2022. I'll also break down some of the worst plays and performances as well. Some teams breaking down, like the Indianapolis Colts versus the Vikings, or the Red Sox against the Toronto Blue Jays. And then on the other side, I'll break down some of the best performances, like Leo Messi in the World Cup Final versus France, like Jimmy Butler in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals versus the Celtics, like Luka Doncic versus the Knicks. This was only a week ago now. Very impressive performances that I want to break down over the year. And obviously, I'm not going to hit all the big ones. Obviously, it's, it's hard to do. It's just performances I know about off the top of my head. Some I did research as well that I didn't know too much about. But at the end of the day, I know there's probably a lot more things I'm not going to be able to break down this video, but I'm just going to break down the top 22 performances slash games in the year of 2022 to the best of my ability and also break down some of the worst ones as well. I think I only got eight of the worst performances of the year, uh, so not as many of the bad ones. So I'll start off with the bad ones. Start there and get that out of the way. December 17th, 2022, and mind you, these aren't in any particular order. Maybe for the worst performances, I guess the top four or five are in particular order, but once I get to the best performances, that's really not in, in any particular order. That's just random order, whatever I could write down and, and note in order. It really didn't have to do with the preference and hierarchy. It was really just 1 through 25 without ranking, okay, this is first, this is second, this is third. I might say, okay, this is the third or fourth one, but that doesn't mean that's the third or fourth one ranked. It just means the third one of them is to talk about. So for the first one, and this one I will rank, the worst performance of the year, December 17th, 2022, week 15 of the NFL. The Indianapolis Colts found themselves up 33 to nothing at halftime versus the Minnesota Vikings and somehow lost the game in overtime. They let out the biggest comeback in NFL history and were outscored 39-3 to in the second half. And I'll repeat that again just so people get it. The Indianapolis Colts were outscored 39-3 to in the second half after leading at halftime 33 to nothing, creating the worst loss in NFL history, giving up 39 points in the second half and only scoring three, being outscored by 36 points in the second half and giving up the biggest comeback in the league's history, which is nuts. So that's number one worst performance of the year. Number two, the Boston Red Sox losing 28-5 to the Toronto Blue Jays. This game was on July 22nd, 2022. Brutal game for the Red Sox. And the worst play of the game was Jaron Duran in center field for the Red Sox, missing a fly ball in center off the bat of Ramel Tapia, giving up an inside-the-puck grand slam. And that wasn't even the worst part of the game. I mean, the Red Sox gave up 29 hits overall, which is the most by a team. Since 1992, 29 hits is the most a team has had in the MLB since 1992, since the Milwaukee Brewers had 29 on the Blue Jays in 1992, and it's also the sixth most hits for a team since 1901. So the Red Sox allowed 29 hits. That's probably the worst part of the game. They allowed the most runs by a Red Sox team in franchise history. It was a Red Sox worst loss in 99 years, the fifth most runs in a game during the MLB's modern era, and the modern era is 1900 to the present, and it's the most runs the Red Sox gave up in a three-game span since 1901 was 56 runs, and that was this game was part of that three-game stretch. It was a Friday before the All-Star break. The Red Sox lost to the Yankees 14-1 in the Bronx. Then they lost Saturday right before the All-Star break 13-2. And then this game against the Toronto Blue Jays was a Friday night game after the All-Star break, losing 28-5, being outscored in that stretch. And mind you, this is a three-game stretch. So at the end of the day, it's all we were bad for one game. We just got blown out 28-5. There was a three-game stretch 
The Red Sox were outscored 55-8. to And that's the worst differential over three-game span in the modern era. So it was that Saturday game in the Bronx right before the All-Star break, that Sunday game in the Bronx right before the All-Star break, and then the first game back after the All-Star break versus the Toronto Blue Jays, losing 28-5. That minus 47 run differential over those three games was the worst over three-game span in the modern era. And as I said, that's since 1900. It was just an embarrassing loss overall. And to make matters worse, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays was making a cocktail, a fruit cocktail, in the dugout during the fifth inning which is not only disrespect for the Red Sox, it's disrespect for the game of baseball. But at the end of the day, he had six hits in seven at-bats, which tied the Blue Jays' record for most hits in a single game. And he was one of the nine starters, which all nine starters in that Blue Jays lineup had two-plus hits, with seven of those nine starters having three-plus hits. So that's the second-worst performance of the year. Number three, another local team here, the New England Patriots losing to the Las Vegas Raiders in the fashion they did. Jacoby Myers' lateral to Chandler Jones for the game-winning touchdown a few weeks ago now. That's the third-worst play of the year. Third-worst performance slash play. This was on December 18th, so just a couple weeks ago now. With the game tied, the Patriots were on their own 44-yard line with three seconds to go in regulation. They hand the ball to Ramondre Stevenson. After running for about 20 or 30 yards and getting upfield, he laterals it to Jacoby Myers. Myers then tries to lateral it back to Mac Jones but is picked off in the process by Chandler Jones, a pass rusher for the Las Vegas Raiders, former Patriot pass rusher as well. And Chandler Jones returns it for a touchdown, and the Patriots lose the game as time expired. The Patriots should have just nailed and went to OT and just played for overtime, but that loss is really on Matt Patricia and Joe Judge for calling a run play that had laterals included in it, because that's a recipe for disaster. 99.99% of teams probably would take a knee in that situation. And I was shocked Bill Belichick allowed that to happen since he's usually the guy that's outsmarting the other team. Not making a mistake like that and losing the game in overtime, or right before overtime, and giving up a lateral return for a touchdown. That's just unlike the Patriots and unlike Bill Belichick. But that is on Matt Patricia and Joe Judge for calling a run play in that situation where there was a designed part of the play that included laterals. And then Jacoby Myers also making that decision. He has to know better than that. I mean, you're lateral get back to Mac Jones, not to Tyreek Hill, not to Jalen Waddell. Not to Devin Hester. You're getting it back to Mac Jones. He's not going to juke anyone from the 50-yard line. you got to be smarter than that. Next up, this is an NBA game. During the past week in the NBA, the New York Knicks blew a 112-103 lead with 26 seconds to go to the Dallas Mavericks. They were up 112-103 with 26 seconds to go and blew the game. They were up 9 points with 26 seconds to go and blew the game. And This was on December 27th, 2022. The Mavericks ended up going... On to win the game in overtime. And I'm going to break down this game a little bit more when I get to the best performances of the year since Luka Doncic's performance in this game is one of the best that I want to mention. But being up by 9 points or 26 seconds to go, you should never lose a game like that. You should never lose a game, I don't care if it's high school basketball, college basketball, the NBA, an intramural game, a co-rec game, a pickup game at the local gym. You should never lose a game when you're up by 9 points with 26 seconds to go. You have to try to lose a game like that. So that's one of the worst losses of the year. Number five, college basketball. Now I'm transitioning to college basketball. Eastern Illinois was a 31.5-point underdog against Iowa on December 21st. They ended up winning that game, and that's Eastern Illinois. Huge upset win over Iowa, winning that game 92-83, outscoring Iowa 55-38 in the second half. And Iowa's usually a team in much madness that's a third or fourth seed. They're usually a third, fourth, or fifth seed 
typically a higher seed, and they lost this game as a 31.5-point favorite against Eastern Illinois at home. That's the biggest upset loss in college basketball in the last 30 years, with Iowa being favored by 31.5 in that game. Eastern Illinois, though, credit to them. They shot 60% as a team in that game, 36 of 60 from the floor, and outscored Iowa in the paint 54-40. Now I'm going to stay in college basketball, talk a little bit about Louisville basketball. This is not just one performance. This is as a team on the year. Louisville basketball, who's usually a very good basketball team in college basketball, usually middle of the pack ACC, always have talent, and usually have guys drafted the first round. They're off to a 2-12 start on the year and lost to Kentucky yesterday, one of their rivals being in-state in Kentucky. They lost to Kentucky yesterday, dropping to 2-12 on the year, two wins and 12 losses. And at one point, they were 0-9, losing games to Wright State, Appalachian State, Lipscomb, and Bellarmine. Lipscomb, Bellarmine, Appalachian State, and Wright State, they lost to this year. As a Power 5 program in the ACC, a program with a lot of history and a lot of first-round picks and a lot of talent, like Donovan Mitchell and Terry Rozier, and those are past players, obviously, but with the storied history like that, you should not be losing games to Wright State and Lipscomb and Bellamine. You should not be. They were 0-9 on the year before beating Western Kentucky and Florida A&M, and now they're 2-12. and I'm going to stay in the world of college sports here, talk about LSU football for a second. They lost to Texas A&M their last game of the year to ruin their college football playoff chances. On November 26th, LSU is the number five team in the country, 9-2 before the game. Texas A&M was 4-7, not playing for a bowl game, playing for nothing but pride at the end of the day. And LSU lost 38-23 on November 26th and likely would have found themselves in the college football playoff had they won that game and not lost. They ended up still playing in the SEC Championship, losing, though, in that game to Georgia. And the last performance I want to talk about, and I know there's probably a ton of performances that I'm not mentioning here. There's just the ones that came to my head or that I could find online. Most of them I already knew about, and then a couple I researched about the best performances, a few in college basketball that I want to talk about. But one of the worst performances of the year in the NFL, Joe Burrow, Week 1, September 11th, 2022, versus Pittsburgh Steelers. The ultimate Super Bowl hangover. Four interceptions, a fumble lost, and was sacked seven times in that game. Four turnovers in the first half room. Four turnovers in the first half after coming back from a Super Bowl appearance, four turnovers in the first half. So after returning with the playoff appearance and making a huge run and making it to the Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, their first half back, Joe Burrow had four turnovers in the first half. So not the best way to return after a Super Bowl appearance, but obviously Joe Burrow got himself back on track by the end of the season. The Steelers ended up beating the Cincinnati Bengals in overtime in that game. So the best performances slash games in the end, I'm going to transition to that. I'm going to start off with Luka Doncic, superstar for the Dallas Mavericks. He had a 60-20-10 triple-double versus New York Knicks on December 27th, so just a few nights ago now. That's the first ever performance where a player had a 60-point, 20-rebound triple-double. And Luka Doncic did that against the New York Knicks. They were down 112-103 to with 26 seconds to go, ended up winning the game. 126 to 121 in overtime. Luca in that game, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists, two steals, was 21 of 31 from the floor for 68% field goal percentage, and also added a block in that game. Not only did he have a great stat line, he led Dallas back for one of the most historic comebacks in NBA history. NBA teams had zero wins in 13,884 losses in the last 20 seasons when trailing by nine or more points with 35 seconds or less to go in regulation. And that comes from a stat from ESPN. And you know what Luka Doncic did? Led Dallas back to not only win that game, 
but also land the first 60.20 rebound triple-double ever in NBA history. And as I said, this really isn't in any particular order. I'm just throwing these 25 performances out there. I didn't want to rank them since I felt that would have been hard to do. It's hard to really compare things going on in the NBA to college basketball, to college football, to college baseball, to the NHL, to college hockey. It was really hard to put all of those in a ranking, so I didn't really rank these. I'm just going to throw all 22 of them out there. Next up, Jimmy Butler's Game 6 performance versus the Boston Celtics, May 12th, 2022. In an elimination game in the Eastern Conference Finals, he played 45 minutes and 57 seconds, leading the Heat to a 111-103 victory over the Celtics at the TD Garden for a chance to play in a Game 7 at Miami. Pretty impressive performance for Jimmy Butler. As I said, 45 minutes and 57 seconds, shooting 16-29 from the floor for a 55.2% field goal percentage, had 47 points, shot 4 of 8 from 3, was 11 for 11 from the free throw line, had 9 rebounds, tallied 8 assists, recorded 4 steals, and also had a block. He only had one turnover in that game and one foul. Gave everything he had. And there's not many players I would take over Jimmy Butler in a do-or-die game. And that's the main reason was what he did in that game. And it's not because of that game. I always liked Jimmy Butler. I always liked the way he played. I always thought he played harder than any other player in the league. And at the end of the day, you guys know I'm a big Clipper fan. Huge LA Clippers fan. I love the way the Clippers play. I love the way the Clippers play. They give it their all every single possession. And that's what Jimmy Butler did in that playoff game. That's what Jimmy Butler does always in the playoffs. No one gives you as much as they have in the tank than Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. Playing 46 minutes in an elimination game, giving 47 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals, a block, and also adding in 4 of 8 shooting from 3 and 16 of 29 shooting from the floor and only having one turnover and one foul. Very impressive performance for Jimmy Butler, and that's one that I had to highlight and could not miss in this recap of the year in sports. Next up, I'm going to stay with the NBA here. Steph Curry, Game 4 performance versus the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals. Steph shot 14 of 26 from the floor, was 7 of 14 from three. Seven threes is unreal. 43 points total, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, and a 10-point win for the Golden State Warriors in Game 4 of the NBA Finals, where the Warriors found themselves down 2-1 to one in the series at that point. This was Game 4. The Warriors, at the end of the day, no, we lose this game, we're down 3-1. That's probably the series right there. That was a huge turning point in the series. And I always said, the biggest difference in a seven-game series is the difference between 2-2 two to two tie or a 3-1 deficit. 3-1 to one versus 2-2 two to two is the biggest difference because 2-2, two to two, you still have a really good chance of still winning the NBA Finals. When it's 3-1, to one, you got to win three straight, your odds go down heavily. And obviously, most people get that and know that. But Steph Curry putting up that performance in basically an elimination game, if you want to consider it that, even the Warriors would not be eliminated technically being down 3-1, to one, but... The chances definitely go down because at the end of the day, the Celtics only have to win one out of three games. Huge game for Steph Curry. Seven threes at 43 points in a game four where the Warriors were down 2-1 to one in the series and he evened up the series with a 10-point win. Now I'm going to switch gears to soccer. I'm going to talk a little bit about the World's Cup. and the World's Cup final game in general, this is one of the best performances, I would say, overall. I'm going to talk about Leo Messi and Kylian Mbappe. But that was the most exciting World Cup final ever. And that's come from someone that doesn't follow soccer as much. I got into the World Cup this year. Obviously, because I have the podcast, I always try to cover the biggest things in sports. Even if I don't cover the NHL as much as I want to, I still follow it enough where I could talk about it on the podcast. I love college hockey more than I like the NHL. So that's really the reason I follow college hockey more. I just love college hockey. Uh, and I've always been a big fan of Northeastern, as you guys know. But I always try to cover everything, whether it's the Stanley Cup finals, the NHL draft, the World Cup. Things I'm typically probably not going to cover as much or, you know, talk about 
in the conversations I'm always talking about football for the most part, I cover in this because at the end of the day, I know the World Cup's probably the biggest tournament in the world. Obviously, it connects so many countries, and soccer is the biggest sport in the world, the most international uh, sport. So at the end of the day, being able to watch that World Cup final, there was so much action, so many game-winning shot chances at the end of regulation and an extra time for both teams. France obviously battling back down 2 nothing, tying it, killing Mbappe's great run. Obviously, Leo Messi winning the World Cup final. I mean, at the end of the day, that was the best of both worlds. You see a great soccer game, and obviously, Leo Messi wins the World Cup final. And at the end of the day, that was all he was really missing in his sensational career. In this game, December 18th, 2022, France versus Argentina World Cup final. Argentina found themselves up 2 to nothing. France better back made it 2 to 2. Argentina got a goal to go up 3 to 2 from Leo Messi at the 108 mark in the overtime period. And then Kevin Mbappe ended up tying the game on a penalty kick at the 118 mark in that overtime period, making it 3 to 3. Then the game ends up going on to penalty kicks. There was a penalty shootout. And France ends up losing 4 to 2 in the penalty kick shootout to Argentina. All in all, Leo Messi had two goals in regulation in a penalty shootout goal. So three goals total for him, beating France in the finals 4-2 in the penalty kick shootout, as I said. That was Argentina's first World Cup win since 1986. As I said, that was really all Leo Messi was really missing in his great career. And he also played in his 26th World Cup match in his career, which is the most ever for a player in the World Cup history. So pretty impressive run there for him, and obviously being... The player that's played in the most World Cup matches now after playing in that 26th game in the finals, pretty impressive. And then on the other hand, Kylian Mbappe in the World Cup final played very well. Obviously, France ended up losing, but he played unreal, really gave it all he had. Had a hat trick in the game, three goals and five shots, and then also a penalty shootout goal as well. So I know it's really only three goals, but he had that fourth goal technically on the penalty shootout. And overall in the tournament, eight goals and ended up winning the Golden Boot Award, which has given to the player in the tournament who scored the most goals. So pretty impressive run there for Messi, and then also Mbappe as well. Very much a best-of-both-worlds finals game, since you got to see a great soccer game and also see Messi win it, which is really the best way to end the tournament. With such a great game, so exciting, back and forth, so many game-winning chances, I said, at the end of the regular time and regulation, at the end of the extra time, and then also in the overtime period as well. It was really just so exciting. So what a way to end that World Cup tournament on such a high note with so much intensity in that last game. Now to transition back to college sports. I know we talked about a little bit in the bad performances, and I'm going to transition back to college sports here to talk about some good ones. SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai against Houston on November 5th, 2022, was 28 of 37 passing for 75.7% completion percentage, had 379 passing yards and nine passing touchdowns, with eight carries for 54 yards and a rushing touchdown for 10 total touchdowns on the day. 10 touchdowns on the day, leading SMU to a 77-63 win over Houston. In that game, there were eight touchdowns in the second quarter between Houston and SMU. Overall, between the two teams, 20 total touchdowns. 20 total touchdowns with neither team kicking a field goal and neither team punching the ball once. One of the most wild games in the entire college football season, and I feel like I got no hype and didn't get talked about at all. But that was one of the most exciting games in the college football season. I like Tanner Mordecai. I like the way he plays. Plays very similar to Daniel Jones. I think I watched the game. I think it was in October. And what I noticed was he likes to scramble like Daniel Jones, likes to move up in the pocket, move around, get to the outside, run up the middle. 
Legs designed runs. I thought that was pretty cool watching him play in October, and then I saw that stat line, and obviously it's not even just his running ability. He can pass the ball as well. Similar to Daniel Jones, I like the way he plays, uh, and that was one of the most wild games in our college football this year. Another wild game, Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt had five touchdowns versus Alabama, which tied his SEC record in receiving touchdowns for a game. This game was on October 15, 2022. Hyatt had six catches of 207 yards and five touchdowns leading Tennessee to a 52-49 win over Alabama. Another college game here. Now I'm transitioning to college hockey. The Battle of Commonwealth Avenue and Jerry York Knight. BC won that game 9-6. This was on December 9th, I believe. Just want to make sure. Yes, December 9th, a Friday night at BC. It was Jerry York Knight. It was the night they commemorated him and obviously had some former players come back and everyone obviously gave a good ovation to Jerry York for everything he's done for the program and everything he's done for college hockey and college sports in general. What a win for BC in that game, though. 9-6 over BU, who is a top-10 team in the country. Very good program, obviously, historically. Obviously, BC and BU have a great rivalry as well, so that makes the game that much more important, especially considering it was Jerry York night. There were 15 combined goals between the two teams, including eight goals between BU and BC in the second period. Very exciting game. I was happy to be at it. Uh, it was one of the most exciting college hockey games I've ever gone to in my life. Now I'm going to transition to the NHL. Talk about Tage Thompson, a center for the Sabres, who had four goals in the first period versus the Columbus Blue Jackets on December 7th of 2022. Five goals overall in that game for Thompson and an assist as well for six total points. Very impressive performance. I think the most impressive part of it isn't even the five total goals and an assist in the game since the three periods, which is very impressive on its own. Six total points is not easy to do. I think it's the four goals in the first period is what's most impressive. In my eyes, what a run for Thompson in that game. He's having a great year, career year for him. Now I'm going to transition to the NFL. Talk about Joe Mixon, Bengals running back in Week 9 versus Carolina Panthers on November 6, 2022. He had 22 carries, 153 yards, and four rushing touchdowns. Also added in four receptions, 458 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown for five total touchdowns in the game and 213 yards from the line of scrimmage. Pretty impressive run there for him in that game. And on 26 touches, 213 yards, and five touchdowns. What a run there in that game. Next up, going to stay in the NFL. Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa in Week 2 versus Miami Dolphins on September 18, 2022. Hit 469 passing yards with six passing touchdowns and two picks. That game is a wild game. Another guy I'm going to mention in that game is Lamar Jackson. Another performance I'm going to mention in this game. Lamar Jackson in that Week 2 game versus Miami Dolphins. And same day, as I said, September 18th. 318 passing yards for Lamar Jackson with three passing touchdowns. Also had nine carries for 119 yards and a rushing touchdown. Four total touchdowns for Lamar on the day with 437 yards from the line of scrimmage. With two attack of Aloha also throwing for 469 yards and six touchdowns in that game. Quite the game for both guys there, Tua and Lamar Jackson. It was one of the most exciting games this season in the NFL, despite the Ravens blowing that game, ended up losing it, which the Ravens have blown a good amount of big leads this year in the NFL. They probably could have been one of the teams I should have mentioned in the bad performances section. But at the end of the day, that game was quite a run for Lamar Jackson and Tua. And I know I just said I wasn't going to add this in to the bad section, the bad performances section, but... The Ravens honestly should be in there at the end of the day. I just looked it up again. They were up 21 points in that game against the Dolphins and blew that lead. They were up 21 points and blew that lead. What is their largest lead in their franchise history that they blew? 21 points and up losing that game 42-38. to In the Ravens' first six games, they blew three double-digit leads and led by double digits in each of their first nine games of the year. 
and only won three of those nine games by at least 10 points. So at the end of the day, the Ravens just could not find ways to put teams away. They'd have a great lead and still lose games. And some of those stats there I just mentioned came from Vegas Sports Insider. Now I'm going to get back to the best performances. That's what I meant to do, but I just wanted to transition back to the worst performances since that Ravens one was just one you could not not mention, especially considering how bad they've been with big leads on the year. The last thing I'm going to talk about in the NFL is Jacksonville Jaguars' free safety. Rayshon Jenkins became the first player in NFL history with at least 18 tackles and two interceptions in a single game. He did that in Week 15 on December 18th versus Dallas Cowboys, leading Jacksonville to a 40-34 win over the Dallas Cowboys with a pick six in overtime, 52-yard return to seal the deal and beat Dallas and hit Jacksonville a big win. Now I'm going to transition to baseball. I'm going to talk a little bit of college baseball and then get into the MLB. The College Baseball World Series bracket was one that was crazy this year, one that I mentioned a lot earlier in my podcast, but the beginning of my podcast was right around the time of the College World Series. In the Coral Gables Regional, Ole Miss defeated Arizona in the finals by a score of 22-6. to That was on June 6th of 2022. And one performance I want to mention was Ole Miss first baseman Tim Elko was 4-4 for four in that game with five runs batted in, six runs scored, two walks, and was on base six out of six times, scoring six runs with three home runs in that game. It was 4-4 four four with three home runs, five IBIs, and six runs scored. Very impressive performance in getting on base six out of six times and ended up being a big part of that team that ended up winning the College World Series for Ole Miss. Now I'm going to transition to professional baseball. Red Sox second baseman last year, who will probably be the shortstop this year considering Xander Bogats is gone. Trevor Story on May 19th versus Seattle Mariners was 4-4 four for four at the plate with five runs scored, three home runs, seven RBIs, a stolen base, and a walk. Was on base five out of five times and scored five runs in that game. Was a wild performance, and he was on such a hot streak around then, I remember. It was a two- or three-game stretch. It was like every time he got up to the plate, it was either a home run or a double. But overall in that game, had five plate appearances, got on base five out of five times, was 4-4 four for four at-bats-wise, with five runs scored and three home runs and seven RBIs in that game with the stolen base. Now I'm going to transition, staying in baseball, but now to talk about the Los Angeles Angels superstar Shohei Otani, who from June 9th to July 13th, he made six starts, was 6-0 in those six starts, allowing just three earned runs across those six starts, two of those runs being earned, across 39.2 innings pitched, 39 two-thirds innings pitched over those six starts, he was 6-0, giving up just two earned runs, striking out 58 batters with a .45 ERA, holding batters to a 146 opponent batting average. Held opposing hitters to a 146 batting average across six starts, giving up just two earned runs in 39 two-thirds innings pitched. And in those same 39 two-thirds innings pitched, 58 strikeouts with a .45 ERA and had a 6-0 record, giving up just three runs and two of those being earned. And over that stretch... 29 games at the plate between June 9th and the 13th of July. Otani at 291 at the plate with eight home runs, 24 RBIs, a 997 OPS, and a 602 slugging percentage. Really just shows how great a player Shohei Otani is, how special he is, and how much of a superstar he is in today's game. So now I'm going to jump from one superstar in baseball to another superstar in the game of basketball. Joel Embiid, his performance versus Utah Jazz on November 19th this past year was very special. 19 of 28 shooting, was 20 of 24 at the free throw line with 59 points, which was a career high for him. 11 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal and 7 blocks. The Sixers end up winning that game over the Jazz, 105 to 98. I think the most impressive part of that stat line, the 19 of 28 shooting is very impressive. 
The career high 59 points is very impressive. The 11 rebounds, 8 assists, and a steal, very impressive. I think the 7 blocks with the career high 59 points because it shows that he's not only dominating on just the offensive part of the game. He's not only just dominating one aspect, he's dominating on defense as well, adding a steal with 7 blocks and grabbing 11 rebounds. Very impressive performance in that game for Embiid. Now I'm going to jump to college hockey, talk about two performances in college hockey, talk about three performances in college basketball, and round it out with one NHL performance to close it out. College hockey, Western Michigan forward, Jason Poland has five hat-tricks on the year, leads college hockey right now in goals with 19. Best stretch of scoring in college hockey this year was Poland in the Great Lakes Invitational on December 27th versus Michigan Tech and December 28th versus Ferris State. He combined with six goals in those two games, having a hat-trick in each of those, helping Western Michigan wipe out the entire Great Lakes Invitational, outscoring opponents 16-3 in that two-game stretch. This was the second time Poland has had back-to-back hat-tricks on back-to-back nights this year, did it against Miami, Ohio earlier in the year, and now in the Great Lakes Invitational versus Michigan Tech on December 27th and Ferris State on December 28th. He also had a hat-trick versus Northeastern on the year. Very special year for Poland. Five total hat-tricks with 19 goals. Quite a season for him. Now, just to transition to Northeastern hockey for a second. Freshman forward Cam Lund on November 11th at Matthews Arena versus BC had a hat-trick in that game, and his third goal came at the end of regulation to send the game to overtime with the goal at the buzzer with just under a second left. I think there were two and three-tenths of a second left in regulation when that puck hit the back of the net. Ended up winning the game for Northeastern in a shootout. Northeastern found themselves down 4-1 to one in that game with 11 minutes to go. Ended up coming back and winning that game in a shootout. Very impressive performance there for Cam Lund. Four total goals on the night, three in regulation, and a goal in a shootout, even though it doesn't count to his total goals on the season. Four goals on the night, an elite night, and helped Northeastern tie up the game right before the buzzer sounded in regulation and ended up winning the game for them in the shootout. 34th pick in this past year's NHL draft at San Jose Sharks, second pick of the second round, and obviously, as you can see, how much of a talent he is on the ice. Now I'm going to transition to college basketball, talk about three performances in college basketball, and then I'll round it out with the San Jose Sharks and a great performance from one of their players. Purdue Basketball Center Zach Eady on December 4th versus University of Minnesota had 31 points and 22 rebounds. Quite a performance for Eady, one of the best players in college basketball, as you can tell. 31 points shows you're not only dominating on the offensive end, you're also dominating on the glass as well. 22 rebounds, very hard to cover, and obviously a career performance there for him. Going to transition now to UConn basketball. They played a game on, I believe it was November 15th. Yes, November 15th versus Buffalo, winning that game 84-64 over Buffalo. UConn was led by Tristan Newton, who had 22 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, and 4 steals. Had a triple-double in that game. And was actually the only player in college basketball this year to score 20 points and a triple-double. Very impressive performance there for him. 22 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. And then also adding 4 steals. That's a dominant performance. On the offensive end and defensive end, you're getting in passing lanes, stealing passes, and you're also getting involved on the boards. He was the first player this season to score 20 points in a triple-double. UNH basketball forward Clarence Daniels led the Wildcats to a win over BC Basketball at Conti Forum on the road on December 6th, 2022. UNH ended up winning that game 74-71 in overtime. Tough game for BC. I think they shot 3 of 22 from the three-point line. Daniels, though, was unreal for UNH, had a career-high 34 points in that game, including a game-tying three-pointer with under two seconds to go to tie the game for UNH. UNH was down three. 
think one of the guards drove down the lane, kicked it out to Daniels. Daniels shot a three with the game in his hands. I mean, the game's in the line, and he came up huge, huge three there in that game. Ended up tying the game. Ended up coming up big in overtime as well. Finishing that game 13-19 shooting from the floor, 4-5 shooting from three with 14 rebounds, a steal, and 34 points. And the last of the 22 performances I'm going to mention is San Jose Shocks forward Tim O'Meyer on January 17, 2022, which is the earliest performance out of any of the 22 performances that I mentioned in this episode. Meyer had five goals and six shots in 18 minutes and 14 seconds on the ice with two power play goals. And that goal total, five goals, was the most goals in an NHL game all of last season in the 2021-2022 NHL season. As I said, that came on... January 17th of 2022, so very early in the year, versus the LA Kings. Five goals and six shots. Very impressive. Now to round out the episode, I'm going to give my athlete of the year, give my best hot take of the year, and then also review some of my hot takes that were good and some that were cold ones that didn't work out. First off, athlete of the year, I'm giving that to Aaron Judge. 62 home runs, set the American League record with 62 home runs, breaking Roger Maris's record, which was 61. Had a 311 batting average on the year, a 425 on base percentage, and 1100 OPS to go along with a 425 on base percentage. An 1111 OPS with a 425 on base percentage and a 311 batting average in 62 home runs was the most dominant hitter in all of baseball this year by far. And if you look at it, he bet on himself and it really worked out. He bet on himself, didn't accept the low ball off the Yankees off of him last season before the season started. Said, I'm going to better myself, have a career year. Ended up getting a nine-year, $360 million deal from the Yankees this offseason and earned himself the title of being captain for the Yankees, their first captain since Derek Jeter retired. So my best hot take of the year. I had Daniel Jones in my predictions with the sports guru. Before the season, I ranked my top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. Obviously, it's 32 starters. I ranked all 32 starters in the NFL. I had Daniel Jones at 12th over Russell Wilson and Kyla Murray. And Daniel Jones right now, I think everyone can agree Daniel Jones is a top 12 quarterback. How many people would agree, have agreed with me before the season began? Probably none. Everyone probably thought I was crazy. And I've stayed true to Daniel Jones. I've stayed true to him. I believed in him through the thick and thin when the offensive line was struggling. With the bad coaching he was so subjected to. With the bad offensive line, the bad offensive coordinator. I mean, Daniel Jones has been set up to fail his entire career with the Giants. And I bet on him. I have all trust and all the faith in the world in Daniel Jones. That's my best hot take if you have Daniel Jones be a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. I thought he could have been top 10. I said that in the episode, but I ranked him for the season was 12th. And now at the end of the day, everyone would take Daniel Jones over Russell Wilson. Everyone would. And if you wouldn't, you're just hating on him. You're just hating on Daniel Jones at the end of the day. My runner-up for best hot take of the year was drilling the Philadelphia Phillies losing in the World Series before opening day. I had the Red Sox beating the Phillies in the World Series in six games. It wasn't the Red Sox beating the Phillies in six games. It was the Houston Astros defeating the Philadelphia Phillies in six games in the World Series. So I nearly drove that prediction. I did have the Phillies losing in six, not to the Red Sox. Obviously, they end up losing to the Houston Astros in the World Series. And then UMaine basketball beating BC basketball was another hot take I had. Me and the sports guru, Mike Hurley, ended up sharing a hot take there. And obviously, it ends up working out. UMaine ended up beating BC basketball in that game. Another hot take. I had defensive player of the year. My prediction for the season was Nick Boza looking pretty good right now. Leading the NFL with 17 and a half sacks on the year. 
So that prediction looks pretty good right now, but obviously not too sure if he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year still since we don't know who's going to win that. That's at the NFL Honors Award Ceremony right before the Super Bowl. So there's some time before we're going to see that. So my cold take. My coldest take of the year that didn't work out, I had the Indianapolis Colts at 12-5. and five. And I'm fine saying that since a lot of people saw the Colts team this offseason, especially considering Matt Ryan came over from the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of people probably saw that Colts team as a playoff team and as a team that probably should win that AFC South division. Or at least compete with the Tennessee Titans and still earn a playoff spot even if they were not to have won the division. But they're the most disappointing team of the year. Most disappointing team of the year. I had them at 12-5 and five in my prediction. They currently are 4-10-1. 4-10-1 on the year. So most disappointing team of the year. I had very high hopes for them considering Frank Reich, who ended up being fired from his head coach position, got 27 touchdowns out of Carson Wentz last year. The Colts have a very good offensive line going into this year. They had the best running back in football heading into this season. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor didn't have as good of a season. The Colts' offensive line isn't as good as it should have been. Quinton Nelson regressed this year heavily. And Matt Ryan was still good last year, just was not the same quarterback this year that he was with the Falcons last year. In 17 games last year, Matt Ryan had 20 touchdowns and 12 picks with 3,968 passing yards, a 67% completion percentage. It was the second highest graded quarterback in the NFL last season on passes 30-plus yards downfield. 96 passer rating, which was second best only behind Joe Burrow and Josh Allen was third. He was the second best in the NFL last year as a grade on 30-plus yard passes downfield. So I saw Frank Reich being one of the best head coaches of football. I saw a really good offensive line. I saw the best running back in the NFL heading into this year. And I saw Matt Ryan, who had a good season last year with the Falcons, even with all the instability around him last year. He still had a good season. And the Colts just disappointed. 4-10-1 on the year. Two games to go. I have them at 12-5. So that wraps up my entire summary of the year in sports in 2022. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. As I said... There's probably a lot of things I missed at the end of the day. These are just things I could think of and things I could look up and obviously research. I knew most of these things, just about every one of them. A couple of the college basketball performances I looked up, like that triple-double from that kid from UConn. But as I said, there's not going to be a way to hit every single great performance and bad performance of the year. And I'm sure there's ones that you guys could add in as well, too. So let me know if there's any things I missed. Anyways, that does conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. And as I said, at the end of my last few episodes... Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully everyone has a great 2023. Wishing everyone the happiest and healthiest year ahead. Thank you guys for listening and I appreciate it. Have a good one.